Welcome to the Magic Potion Podcast, where a sprinkle and a dash can enhance your class. Listen to learn about tools, techniques, and stories from educators on ways to improve your lessons, create a positive culture, and much more. I'm your host, Kevin Reinemann, and now it's time to make it happen. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Magic Potion EDU podcast. I am pleased to uh, have on board for today, Leah LaCrosse. Leah, could you introduce yourself and who you are and what your background in education is, please? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am an eighth grade science teacher currently um, with Huron City Schools. Um, I've been teaching for over 20 years. So um, I've taught eighth grade for the last five. Um, Before that, I was a fifth grade science teacher and absolutely loved teaching fifth grade science. Um, and then before that I was sixth grade social studies. And before that I was fourth grade for like a hot minute. And then I even did like a very, very, very quick rotation in first grade, um, and learned that I am not a good first grade teacher. (laughs) I feel like those teachers are amazing and I don't think I could ever do that. So I'm in eighth grade right now. I feel like I finally found my crazy people that I work best with. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I myself am very similar. Um, if I could go back into the classroom, I think junior high would be the perfect fit for me, but as it's like fourth grade is like the lowest comfort zone for me. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking maybe as my son gets older, things might change, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we'll just have to see how things go. And it's been interesting having two children that I I had both my son and my daughter. I had them both in fifth grade science, and then I had them both in eighth grade science. And now they're in high school. And I found that as they grew up, like from fifth grade to eighth grade, I was like, I can handle eighth graders. I I know these people. These people are wild and fun. And (laughs) so... I think that kids help us kind of grow into those stages and remember how awkward and fun it can be to be a middle <laughs> <Absolutely>. schooler. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was the youngest child, so I never really had experience with, you know, babies and mm-hmm. toddlers. And it's all like, it's amazing how much natural instinct just kind of takes over. Yeah, it's sink or swim and, and you just you just keep <laughs> swimming. Just keep swimming. You'll get oh, there. Man. Yeah, no. we... Little man is actually signed up for preschool next year. And that's, oh man, that's going to be a fun one to start that journey. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, there's a few things that, you know, for the audience members, if you're not following Leah on Twitter, you should probably pause now and go ahead and hit that follow button. Um, I believe it's at L lacrosse, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Leah does some amazing things. Her students are doing a lot of hands-on activities. And, you know, just a couple that come to mind for me, uh, I've just recently saw the erosion table. Um, So that's kind of a big thing in your your area of Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we absolutely have to watch um, from, you know, wind and water. We uh, we have farmland all around us. And... um, we are constantly trying to monitor that soil to make sure that we're not losing too much with the type of farming practices we have, the type of building practices we have. And then, I mean, we live next to my community. Huron lives, we sit right within the Huron river and, um, it's like a gigantic mud puddle. <laughs> so we, we see like the effects of erosion and we just see like how super loaded with sediment it is. And so, 
um, for my students to have like a good understanding of, you know, how do we try to manage the natural erosion that occurs? And then how do we try to like have the least amount of impact with our building practices and farming practices? So um, erosion and deposition doesn't sound like a really, really fun, hot topic for kids. <laughs> and I will be quite honest, it was not for me until I decided to do, um, this gigantic, uh, stream table. And, um, I think for most people who, um, like maybe for earth, you have a little bit of earth science, you remember what you did. You might remember doing like sand and you poured water and you watch how the water moved the particles and, and so on. I wanted to take that experience and like build it out. So it was like a bigger scale so they could play a little bit with it. And, um, if there's one thing I'm good at, it's creating a sandbox in my room. And, and this is a four foot by eight foot sandbox, basically that, um, I put on an incline. I have a series of, um, tubes connecting to faucets and we play with the flow of the water, the angle of the stream table, the types of materials. Um, I even put blocks of ice on it to show how like the, the ice moving and melting and, you know, what does this look like? Um, so we capture some, you know, uh, stop motion video. Um, and then we set up the table for a challenge to see if they can, create solutions to slow down the erosion of all that sand <laughs> that's um, getting washed away. Um, and it's a, it's an engineering challenge that, you know, it requires them to do a little bit of research and find out, you know, what are those practices that already are out there that work? And then like, how do we use recycled products and build some of those uh, rock walls and nets? And um, how do we engineer water flow? So it, doesn't have as, as heavy of an impact. Um, so there's physics, there's some um, earth science in there, and then the building and constructing and um, ultimately communicating science is woven throughout the entire thing. It's, you know, what do you see? What do you think? What do you wonder? Now share that information with someone else. So um, the, the day of the big erosion table event um, we turn the water on, we pour water, I pour water from above a watering can, and then I actually create some wave action at the bottom of the table. And I always tell them, I'm going to destroy your coastline with this <laughs> storm. <laughs> and they're like, no, you won't. And then I do. So it's wonderful. It's a great day for me. Um, oh, man. But yeah, it's, it's all about giving kids those playful experiences that like they walk away from it and they'll talk about how they notice their neighbor has, they're trying to plant new, you know, grass. And so they, they're like, they have netting just like we had netting. And I mean, it's just the little things we, I, we really want kids to start looking around and seeing that practical application. So that is one of my favorite projects. And I would not have said erosion was a fun thing to teach <laughs> until then, you know, and then it became yeah. like a, a lot of uh, hands-on and they even get like 3d printed metals and everything. It's, it's a big deal. So. And yeah. they're documenting it along the way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can say 100% that the iPads in my room, like that is one of the most powerful parts is that they can record something and they can watch it and, make those observations over and over and over again. And I know that, you know, we try to do multiple trials of things in the class, but sometimes you would just have that one time you're watching something and if, if a kid like a squirrel, you know, <laughs> <you're distracted. laughs> yeah. like they can go back and they can go ahead and, and watch that video and, and see the science behind it. So 
it's a pretty powerful thing to have mobile, you know, technology and, and those devices in their hands. It's just like they're studying film for the football game or something like that, only it's science. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so I love watching this stuff that you do, and I wish I could be in your classroom to like see and hear the students mm-hmm. to just kind of watch it there. Um, yeah. And it, this isn't the only project you do that is creative like that. Where where do you where do you find your spark for coming up with ideas like that? Um, you know, honestly, a lot of times I will um, talk about some of the things that were you know, getting ready to study in science, I will talk about it to my husband and I'll talk about uh, with my kids. And my daughter, Jaden, is probably like one of the best brainstorming people I work with because I'll say something. She's like, oh, that's kind of like and then we'll just this kind of yes. And we'll go back and forth. And I mean, by the end of it, she may help me map out a project that I wouldn't have considered doing with kids, you know, and, and she's only a sophomore in high school, but she likes to be entertained and engaged and she likes to be involved. And so, um, sometimes just talking about it with my family helps me. Um, I do, when I run, I'll go for like a six mile run and I'll come back with an entire experience mapped out in my head and I'll grab my iPad and I'll sketch it all out. And I'm like, these are the materials. This is the time limit. This is the goal. So sometimes I just, you know, on, you know, on a, out for a jog, (laughs) I'll come up with some ideas. So, and, and bottom line, if, if listeners, you know, don't have a a Twitter account yet, like that's something that is super helpful. It's like, you can go on, you know, onto Twitter and see all these educators and you're like, I could do that. I could do a spinoff on that. I could, you know, and you want to just try something new. Like it's a, it's a beautiful resource for people. So Twitter is one of the great places I gather ideas from. Yeah. Same for me. It's like, I'll see something and be like, okay, okay. Well, I could do something like that for a social studies class or how can I put my um, Catholic identity in and switch that in for the Catholic school that I'm working in and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Twitter is like, it has been a game changer. It has. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember my friend Gary, when he told me to set up a Twitter account, I just giggled because I'm like, oh, what do you do? Do you tweet? And then he's like, yes, that is exactly what it's called. He's like, don't <laughs> laugh. It's not funny. And I'm like, I can't have a tweeting account. And he's like, that's not what it's called. I'm like, well, <laughs> the Twitter sounds great. And he's like, quit saying the Twitter. But once you get into it and you see like you follow some people that are just in the same boat you are, they just want to have, um, you know, I want to have a good time with my career. I want to look back and enjoy it. I don't want to talk about like all the millions of reams of paper <laughs> that yeah. I was able to work through in my 20, 30 uh, years or whatever. So yeah, good place to get ideas. Yeah. And, and I feel like last spring, you know, it's all blur anymore as I get further on in my career, remembering when things happen and stuff. But I, I feel like I remember you posting a picture about, um, you were sketch noting for a exam or something using the spheros. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I had come across sketch noting. And I was just completely blown away by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I really think that sketch noting is that happy marriage between um, taking notes like old style, like what I used to when I wanted to learn something or map out ideas and this new, very visual world that we live in. Like, I feel like most of the information that I'm getting sent to me in one way or another, it's a visual media. It's just so very 
um, picture and video based. And I thought like, you know, sketch noting was something that I just happened to pick up at a, um, like Apple Distinguished Educator Conference, there was a, a gentleman that was like, hey, like, let, let's do a sketch note together. And I'm like, what the heck is this guy talking about? <laughs> and then as I watched, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how my brain works. Like yeah. some things I see as images and some things I see very, like, I mean, very verbal and, and there's words associated. So um, for me, sketch noting is taking something that's there and and pulling it into like this one um, connected uh, view of it. Um, and I love using sketch noting when I'm mapping out an activity like with Sphero, because I can, um, sometimes just really quickly, accurately map out, you know, verbally, but then add some arrows in and draw a couple pictures. And then when I step back and kind of look at it and I'm like, yes, that's the experience. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so how do I do that? Um, and I, I use the paper, paper 53 app. It's a free app on the iPad. Um, and my students use it a ton in science. Um, we use it when we watch even just like a five minute video. Um, they'll watch the video first, um, without doing anything on the iPad. Uh, then we'll take a few minutes to talk a little bit about it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, go ahead and open up the paper app. Um, and they'll start to, with maybe just some students start with words, some students starts, start with pictures. Um, but the second time they watch that video, or I do this with podcasts too. We did one today with podcasting with uh, bees and electric fields. So, um, and I make them listen to it or watch it twice. Um, and the second time they start to build out that sketch note. Um, and then the third time, you know, then when they're hearing that third time, they start to connect everything. And um, I think it's a great way to give kids an alternative to taking notes. You know, they can, it's something I roll out for them. I model it first, like with my iPad mirroring. Um, and then I let them try to experience it like on their own and share with a partner or whatever. Um, but I think sketch noting is one of those things that students that especially they like to doodle or they like to draw on the sides of papers. It's a perfect way to give them a platform for doing something, you know, that's connected to your content with it. And I've seen some just amazing sketch notes out there. Um, Karen Bosch, who is an educator, I I'm pretty sure it's Michigan. Um, she does some amazing work with sketch notes, and she actually created a sketch noting workbook for kids who are really needing some more support. Like, how do I get started on this? Um, I used it with my science classes, and they loved it. It was like step by step. It was it was perfect. Um, and it actually uses Keynote software, which um, my students are getting more into using Keynote and Pages and, and using sketch noting in those uh, softwares as well. So. It's definitely something that I myself want to start getting into. I'm just kind of like, where do I begin? I've never actually seen anybody do it in person. I've just seen the finished product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will say that the, um, the very first sketch notes that I did, I noticed that there was um, big open spaces or like everything looked like it was on one side of the screen. And <laughs> it's like, I didn't have it like planned out very well. Um, and so that as a practice, you know, makes perfect. And as I did these over and over again, um, I started to, you know, identify my own style, what colors I prefer. And and just how to balance out the screen for myself so that I'm, 
using as much real estate as I can on the screen. Um, and the kids that start off, their very first one, they're like, oh, this is horrible. Why doesn't mine look like yours up on the screen? And I'm like, well, it's seventh period and I've done this a couple of times today. <laughs> right. So you get to see the best of the best work. Um, but I always have the kids keep their beginning sketch notes. And then at the end of the year, they look at them again and they are just so pleased with themselves. And and that's good because you want to show them that, yeah, you practiced that. It wasn't something you could just walk in and do. You had to give it, you know, some time. So, And I'm sure not every student is, that's not the best way for every student. Some of them are probably still the traditional way, mm-hmm. learn better from taking traditional notes. Yeah. Um, and then the artistic level, do you consider yourself to be pretty artistic? Um, I am great with clip art. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I, um, I'm not really, really, I don't think I'm a really artistic person. Um, I do, I, I think I have grown with some art skills over the years, but I wouldn't think of myself, you know, um, as a native artist that just, I don't know. I I don't think so. But at the same time, like I have taken some of the work that students have done and I've shared it, you know, on Twitter or something. They're like, oh my gosh, it's almost like you're teaching an art class. I'm like, oh, I didn't do that. I did not show that. that." And I always feel a little bit busted out by that. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. That's native. That's them. (laughs) But. Oh, wow. Well, as you said, you're in the twenties, right? For yeah. your years in education. And I'm, I'm rounding out year 11 myself now. Um, so looking back, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting today or what advice would you give for that teacher that's starting next August? Um, I think there's two things I would say. I would say, first of all, be ready to forgive yourself a lot because <laughs> Nobody jumps into their first few years and is as good as they are in, you know, year five, six, seven, you know, like with everything you, you grow into it, you know, and you get better as you, as you work with it. Um, So definitely be ready to be like, don't be so hard on yourself. Cause I know that there are some first year teachers that, um, you know, their confidence takes a dip here and there and it doesn't help that like test scores are, you know, this and, and that administration might be that and colleagues might sometimes be this, you know, like you definitely have to like be very forgiving to yourself. Um, and then the other thing that I did because one of my mentor teachers told me 20 some years ago is to just keep a little journal off to the side. Don't, marry yourself to, uh, you know, a daily entry or a weekly entry. Like when you feel like there's a moment that you want to capture, like just write down some stuff for yourself, like of your experiences, because you will look back and you will laugh at some of them. And then some things you'll be like, oh yeah, okay. That wasn't my best move. (laughs) Um, but I think it helps to be reflective and, you know, be honest with yourself, uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's something to go back and I, I think of my first class and I actually have some of my students from my first class that now they are, you know, in their careers, they have children, they're this, they're that. And and they're like, oh, do you remember when we did this? And I'm like, actually, I wrote a journal entry about it <laughs> because, you know, it's it was a moment that uh, stood out to me for some reason, you know. I did shaving cream spelling with my sixth graders when um, I had them and they will come back and say that to me. They're like, I can't believe you did shaving cream spelling with us. And I'm like, neither can I, but that was one of my best days with you guys. So, (laughs) 
you know, yeah, that's, I, I think that would be my two pieces of advice. Awesome. Well, one of the, uh, one of the other memories I think you're creating as I'm watching and going on is I hit, opened my lock screen on my phone. Here is the old woman Creek app. Mm -hmm. So, so your students made an app in your class, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it's, it's an experience I've been working on, gosh, for years. As soon as, um, I found out that you could create an app like that years ago, actually probably about six years ago. Um, I wanted to create an app for our butterfly garden and the kids did a phenomenal job, like making different assets for it, like taking pictures, drawing pictures, uh, collecting science data. And I was like, I have all this great material and I don't know what to do with it. And there wasn't a, a really, really easy way for someone who, um, didn't have a whole lot of computer science coding background to just make an app. So um, this has been something I've wanted to do for years. Um, but recently, I I don't even remember how I stumbled on it, but I found a software program called Lightwell. And it's basically for those people that want to design an app, but maybe don't have all of the coding skills and, and all of the other skills that would be necessary um, to build it. So I played around with the software and I, I, you know, like you should always do, give yourself some sandbox time on your own and just see yes. like, what are the pitfalls? What, you know, what do you need to um, do before you actually roll it out to kids? And I made just a very simple app about um, Gregor Mendel and genetics and, and stuff for my um, kids in the class. And the software allows you to like layer your information and it's very, very visual. Like you can add text, you can add sound, you can add pictures. Um, and it's really, really easy to follow um, the software's directions. They're just very easy to follow. So I made this Mendel app and I just kind of airdropped it to all of the iPads in the room and shared it with them. And they were like, this is so much fun. And this was this was actually last year that I did this. And I was like, yeah, and it makes sense to you, right? Like this is teaching you something, right? Like, <laughs> I was like, please just reassure me, like boost up my ego a little bit here. Lie to me if, yes, you, must. if, you, if you must. But um, they were all pictures that I had drawn and all like timelines that I built and, and whatever. And so I figured, okay, I did this on my own. I could crowdsource Old Woman Creek, which is an estuary that my students visit and it's right in our community. Um, I could crowdsource with them that, that app and have each student do one small piece of it and then just kind of collect it all and have a small population of students maybe build the app itself on the MacBook. So the, um, my, um, I have iPads in the room and I have like six Chromebooks, but really to do something with Mac, like building this app, I had to bring in my laptop from home and it had the software loaded on it. And I was so, so pleasantly surprised because, you know, students would make the audio clips and the music in GarageBand on their iPad. And then they would just airdrop it to the MacBook. And I had a kid waiting there, pulling it into the software. And then nice. some other student would do a picture of a cardinal, airdrop it to the MacBook. He and I, you know what I mean. It was just, it was like a nice flow. And I kept thinking, wait, something's going to go wrong. This is this is working out way too well. Um, and it took a while actually for the editing to go through, and like the kids had to reread things and they had to organize. And it was a great, 
great process, but it was, it went into being more of a study hall event for the kids. And so um, some kids lost steam on it. You know, it wasn't a quick enough project to hold their attention. Um, and other kids were like, Hey, when is that app going to be ready? And it's like, well, you're not helping. So you be quiet. <laughs> you know. Um, but it ended up that we finally got it done. It was like right before Christmas. And I said, I'm going to go through and do some final edits and then I'll try to get it like loaded to the app store. And, um, and that's like, I kind of ran into a couple problems with sound clips. They weren't properly saved and this, you know, like little, little things happened. Um, but it was published and I was so excited. And of course I was like, download, download, you know, and we got 30 downloads and then you, you see everything like a couple days later, a day late on your, um, app store information. And so I was like the first day I'm like, nobody loves old woman. So <laughs> and then I found, Oh yeah. Okay. It's going to take a little while to get the stats in. Um, and you, you have a pretty select market with that one. Yeah, too. we do. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, once you open it, you play around with it. You're like, okay, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> but it was, um, it was not until some of the um, actual like workers out at Old Woman Creek and the scientists, they were like, hey, you've got a couple of things wrong on here. And I'm like, oh, I'm like thinking, what did we misspell? And she's like, actually, you have the wrong carp listed. You're going to freak everybody out if you don't. Oh, man. So I was like, OK, that's that's a good citizen science moment. <laughs> so, nice. um, you know, it was good because we we actually went back. We did more research. And I, I told the kids, I'm like, so you have people from all over the world downloading this. And if we're sharing the wrong information that's a bad thing and so um but yeah it goes back to trying something new and um because my students like really enjoyed this experience and I really enjoyed it we're going to use the lightwell software and create an app for our school like I was just thinking that yeah. as you're talking about I'm like I wonder if I could make something for a school I work at how is it uh is it in the Mac app store or where do you go to to get this software um I'm trying to I think it's just uh, like Lightwell and it's, yeah, I think it's just lightwell.com. But if you just Google Lightwell and then it's, um, make interactive story games. Yeah. Oh, there it is. So that's L I G H T W E L L dot pro lightwell dot pro is the website. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm definitely going to take a look at this. It looks like there's an individual license for $10 a month. Or that's if you buy annually or monthly for $12 per month. And there's also a free trial along with it. Mm -hmm. And I think so. the educators, I think if you go under educators, I, I want to say that they had like um, a discount for educators as well. So like you could go in and load, like I, I purchased the software for a year. So I have um, the year license and I, I want to say there was a discount on that. So okay. yeah. And there looks like a desktop app and a mobile app for it as well. I'm definitely going to put this on my list of things to check out here. Yeah. And it's nice because the mobile app, basically once you, you know, add a section to your app, you can really quickly test it out on your um, your iOS device. So it's nice because the kids would change something and then they would look at, they would, you know, send it to the iPad. They'd look at it and say, okay, move it over a little bit or you're covering up some words here. You know, it's, it's really pretty easy process that they went through. Awesome. Definitely yeah. looking forward to that. Well, um, as we hit this time of year, as we're recording, it's about mid-January. And 
we're actually coming up on conference season, which is actually how I met you. Mm -hmm. um, I think we actually met in person before we met on Twitter. I don't right. know. That's been a couple of years ago now. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like we were both at maybe OETC and we were both doing sessions on 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And then last year we decided to team up and do that together. Mm -hmm. um, so coming up on the season, do you have any conferences that you are planning on attending or any suggestions to anyone that's been thinking about going to one mm -hmm. that they should definitely hit up? Yeah. If they're in Ohio, um, OETC, that's what it is, right? OETC. Yes. Um, that conference in February is phenomenal because you can get so many different levels. You don't feel overwhelmed. Like it's not a huge, huge conference, but there's so many choices of people, you know, doing different things. Um, and like, there are some pretty big heavy hitters there too. Like Apple will be there sharing, you know, some of their, uh, some of their educational tools and, um, I mean, the vendor space is wonderful because you can kind of see what's coming, like, you know, cutting edge. And, and it's always nice to just walk around and check in with some of those uh, places that you've worked with before. You know, they, they have some really good swag there as well. Um, and I, I'm hoping this year um, I'll be there for drones because um, our school has done some um, drone racing. Um, and I've used drones in the classroom, like teaching uh, science concepts and um, so we'll be doing some drone stuff there as well. Um, so I always think that the Ohio conference is, is just a really good one to go to the, um, the other conference that I always make attempt to get to is ISTE. Um, I think this year ISTE it's in June and it's in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. So, yeah. yeah. So, and that's, that's a much bigger conference. Um, it's one that like the first year I went to, I think it was in Atlanta and it was like overwhelming. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. So I would like wander around a lot. <laughs> but um, that conference is one where um, I always feel like I see even more cutting edge ideas, like ways to um, effectively bring technology to students. You know, you want it to be meaningful. You want to use the best materials. You want to have the, you know, the best equipment. So it's like nice to see people who are doing what they do best and they're showcasing it at ISTE. So. And I would definitely recommend that people try to just, just one time submit a session mm -hmm. for a conference like that, because what you do in your classroom is unique to you. Like there might be other, maybe it's Kahoot or something like that. And at some point there's still people out there that don't know what Kahoot is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, don't be afraid to share what really works in your class because a school 50 miles down the road may have never heard about it. So step out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the first time you present something, um, it's like reassuring to you and, and not reassuring. It's reaffirming like, okay, I am doing some pretty good things in the classroom and you don't always get those pats on the back yeah. <laughs> all the time. So it's nice to like go to a conference and it's nice to be able to see what other people are doing and them to say like, wow, that's awesome that you do that. So, I mean, it's community building and it's, it's awesome to connect with other educators. Yeah. And then you set up those connections where you might be doing a Skype call with another class and, mm -hmm. Uh, collaborate with them on a, on a major project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there uh is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience and 
if they want to get a hold of you, what is the best way for them to contact you? I would say, first of all, Twitter is a great way to, um, you know, get in contact with me because that's one of those, uh, one of those things that I, you know, daily check in and look at. Um, and so that's a great way to get a hold of me. And the only other thing I was going to say is like, you know, if, if you're a, a school that maybe isn't getting the most funding for the different projects that you want to try and you want to get into robotics or you want to get into drones or 3D printing or laser cutting, there are, you know, some different avenues to go about funding that. And um, some of the funding that I've gotten has been through like single one-time grants where it's like just a couple hundred dollars and I, you know, bought a Sphero with that money <laughs> or, you know, I got a a $400 grant for a laser cutter. And someone said, you can't get a laser cutter for $400. And I'm like, you would be surprised, you know? You watch me. Yeah, yeah. You check Amazon, buddy. I think you can make something happen. Um, but just like, I know that funding is, is not something that all schools are really funded well. So um, just, you know, keep keep an eye out for grants and you never know. Like once you submit a grant, even just the first one that you get accepted, it's kind of like a, an eye-opening event for you. You're like, oh my gosh, I could also, and it just kind of snowballs. And that's how nine out of 10 pieces of equipment in my room, that's why I mean, they're you, here. It's because I just wrote a grant. Spread. Yes, yeah. From 3D printers to iPads, laser cutters, robotics, drones, like I write at least seven grants a year and that's oh not my. an exaggeration. There's at least seven grants that go out and I am always pleasantly surprised if I get one or more, you know? Um, but once you uh, kind of get your idea together and you, you know, decide how it is this, how educationally can I, you know, how does this fit into my educational world? Like, um, you'd be surprised. People want to see innovation and you can get some good uh, donors and sponsorship. So, Do you have any hidden gems of uh, this is a great resource to find grant opportunities? Yeah. You know, one that I have returned to and I, I've, you know, recommended other people, if you are at all interested in integrating like space science and looking at like, um, you know, like ways to bring, and it doesn't have to be science. You are a science teacher, but even like language arts and social studies. And if you're at all interested in space, um, the Ohio space grant consortium, um, if you Google that they do small grants and they are always willing to like, look at a project. It's one of those grants that's open year round. It doesn't have like a single day deadline, you know? So that's a small grant that I apply for a lot because I'm like, I love space. That's kind of my thing. And, um, I can, you know, I can use all these different tools, but then, um, NSTA, uh, national science teachers association, there's some bigger grants available there. And you would be surprised how many go unclaimed each year because people just don't apply for them. So, um, I was really fortunate. I've received um, three grants through NSTA, and the latest one that I was um, awarded is through Vernier Technology. Okay. And the technology, the um, the materials that I purchased through them with the grant have allowed me to do water testing and sampling throughout our community. Um, and so it's a wonderful citizen science project that I would have never had the funds for the equipment for, but I went on to the NSTA website and I looked at Vernier and I was like, you know what, I'm going to just give it a shot. This is a project I've wanted to do for a long time. 
they have water quality testing equipment, you know, and um, it, you just would be surprised. Um, definitely have people proofread for you, pass it around to a couple colleagues and have them look at your um, proposal. Um, I always have at least two language arts teachers read over my work for me because I'm like, I know what I'm saying, but does it make sense to anybody else? Good so, idea. Yeah. So just give it a shot. You know, you don't, you don't know, but there are people out there that just want to see some innovative things happen and they're willing to back you on it. So give it a shot. Well, that is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking the time to to share with the audience. And of course, I'm keeping some of these ideas for myself to try and use in my school as well. No problem. So, so audience members, like we always say, go out there and make it happen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Potion Podcast. This podcast was created using Anchor FM. Please subscribe and leave comments with your thoughts and ideas from the classroom. Until next time, get out there and make it happen.